This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 147 for Monday, February the 24th, 2014. So the the Olympics are over. That's what they tell me. Yeah. Did you enjoy them? Did you watch them at all? I did. I watched them. It was uh, more sporadically than I normally do watch them, but uh, I did uh, partake in my Olympic sport and uh, very much enjoyed what I did see. Good. Uh, I would like to congratulate all of the Olympic athletes and everyone involved on a successful out endeavor, and mm-hmm. especially the Canadian athletes. We performed pretty well this year. Admirably. Admirably. We did not break our medal record that we set last time when the Olympics were on home turf in Vancouver, but we did okay. I think we came third overall. We did. We did. In the ranking. And of course, the most important thing is that our our women's hockey team and our men's hockey team both skated to gold medals. That was uh, that was quite quite some fun. It was. Did you watch? Did you the... watch? I watched the men's game. I didn't. Uh, I listened to the uh, to the women's game on uh, on the radio. Oh well, that's that's good enough. You you uh, in, you took both in then. Oh yeah, that's good. So and you Very got up. Exciting. You got up early on Sunday morning to tune in. Uh, no, I got up at the regular time oh, and well. tuned in. That's usually around 7 a.m. was when it started, and that's about uh, about when I get up anyway. Sure. The first thing that, uh, you know, it, it was exciting. Bars opened early, like really crazy early here, yep. so, so people could go out and have a beer. And uh, I did not partake in any alcoholic beverages uh, on Sunday morning during the game, but that's because I was sitting at home with my family watching it, and I didn't feel the need. Who wants to have a beer at 7 a.m.? Like, that's just crazy town. Well, going out to a bar to get together with your friends and watch a hockey game, like that kind of thing goes hand in hand, right? And I know it's early in the morning, but when you're out experiencing that, I can see the desire to do that. I think it would have been fun to be in a in a pub watching the game or something. I would have just had a coffee. Well, you need your coffee, that's true. And there's probably a lot of people yeah. doing that as well. That would have been uh, that would have been fine for me. Get up early, go have a coffee, and watch a hockey game. That's exactly what I did. Was I got up, I had the coffee in my hand, and we watched the hockey game. It was fun. It's good. Boy, was it ever a dominating performance, though. Team Canada, it the was. men's team. Holy moly! I think that team, and I could probably talk about the Olympics hockey for a whole podcast, which we won't. I promise everyone. But I just want to say that I think that team is the single best hockey team that has ever been put on ice you know you know what i noticed about that hockey team tell me <clears throat> me and my uh my vast vast hockey experience and knowledge mm-hmm. uh every single person on that team used skates and a stick <laughs> well you know that for the entire game yeah except for that one time when the guy dropped that stick right that happens occasionally Stick yeah. sticks break helmets fall off whatever skates don't usually come off but it blades have come have fallen off before uh, yeah, well, that is important that they did that. But outside of that, in every other way, that was the greatest hockey team I've ever seen. Such a dominating performance. They only were scored on three times in the entire tournament, which is, what, eight games? Yeah. I mean, Carey Price's goals against average was .5-something. That is obscene. His... 
<laughs> his save percentage was what? just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, everything about that Canadian hockey team was spectacular. Absolutely amazing. That's fantastic, Chris. Let's move on. All right. Sorry, you're even you're boring me. Yeah. Well, I need someone. I need someone who I can get into a public forum with, such as this, and talk about the Olympic hockey team because I think I could go on for hours about it. It was exciting. I enjoyed the Olympics. I don't know much about hockey. Right. Uh, you know, because every time I you know ever see a hockey game, I ask you questions. <laughs> right. Like, like what's why that there black three... disc thing for? <laughs> why aren't there three teams on the ice? Uh... <laughs> oh, tri corner hockey. Don't get me started on that. A whole different idea. That I could talk about. All right. Um, there are three birthdays this week, one of which is your wife's. It was two days ago. Yes. Happy birthday to Jenny. Happy one birthday. of which is my wife's. It's today. Happy birthday, Christina. Thank you. And yours is coming up in two days. That's correct. Look at that. Everybody. Well, wish me a happy birthday on Wednesday, though. Uh, yeah, we will. That's true. Oh, I forgot. We do a show on your birthday this, this year, don't we? That's right, yeah. <laughs> okay, well... Uh, happy birthday to everyone in the uh, Talking Dead family who is getting one year older in this week. And my week. mom last week. Was, oh, that's uh, right. was last Wednesday, the 19th, yeah. Jeez, what is with all these babies born at the end of February? Yeah, and my I have another cousin on the 22nd, and I know somebody on the 25th, and I have a friend whose birthday is the same as mine, the 26th. Well, that's that's a lot of people. Something and, about nine months ago from this week is uh, special. <laughs> Special. And I have a friend, uh, an old friend whose birthday was on the 29th. All right. Is on the 29th. Well, that's good. If they listen, happy birthday to all those people, too. Yeah. Today's National Cupcake Day. Speaking of birthdays. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm going to get a cupcake. Do you have some downstairs? No. Sadly, no. Well, National Cupcake Day is a coordinated Canadian event to support local shelters, SPCAs, and humane societies. In 2013, animal lovers across Canada raised over $400,000 to support their favorite societies. So it's invented by sort of animal shelter type places. You make cupcakes, you sell them, you raise money, and donate it to these shelters, which is nothing but a good cause. So, uh, yeah. If uh, if you are having a cupcake for your birthday or not, you know, think about the animals that need a little bit of help out there. Right. All right. We'll go through that really quick. And I'm going to play an entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest, oh, Jason. Cool, 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 cool. So here we go. This comes from Nigel in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I am doing something. I'm keeping this group together, alive. I've been doing that all along, no matter what. I didn't ask for this. I killed my best friend for you people, for Christ's sake. You saw what he was like. How he pushed me, how he compromised us, how he threatened us. Staged the whole Randall thing, let me out there and put a bullet in my back. Gave me no choice. He was my friend, but he came after me. My hands are clean. Maybe you people are better off without me. Go ahead. I say there's a place for us, but maybe, maybe it's just another pipe dream. Maybe, maybe I'm fooling myself again. Why don't you, why don't you go find for yourself? Send me a postcard. Go on. There's the door. You can do better. Let's see how far you get. No takers? Fine. But let's get one thing straight. You stay. This isn't a democracy anymore. 
All right. Thank you, Nigel from Virginia. That's, of course, Rick's famous, this ain't a democracy anymore speech. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've said it all along in the, the few weeks we've been doing this that I'm loving, loving these entries that we're getting. So oh, they're great. They are so much fun to listen to. I hope you guys are having fun recording them. We've got a few more, of course. I will be playing one every episode until the end of season uh, four. And please, please send them in if you have been thinking about doing one. You know what I'd love to get soon? What? Is a group recording where there's a couple of people or maybe two or three people doing a conversation from the show. Oh, that'd be fun. What so, you do is uh, you could just record... Uh, one half of the con- of a conversation and send that in, and then somebody else could record the second half of a conversation and send that in. <laughs> why don't we uh, Why don't we pick a uh, a scene with uh, two or three people, and we'll get uh, we'll just put that out there. Say you know record one part of this scene, and then we'll f- see if we can find random people to mix together into uh, the entire conversation. Actually, we could do that. That might be really really funny. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll think about that. We don't. If we if we're gonna choose one, we'll we'll think of one and maybe announce it next time. Uh, but if not, just get together with your friends or your family, and you can just use one phone that has a voice recorder and just all huddle around it. That would work. Um, you could get around your computer and use the voicemail button on our website and just all read into the mic kind of thing. So, however you want to do it, you know. It's, That's how uh, Elvis yesterday. Elvis Presley used to record the entire albums. They'd put a band in a room with a microphone hanging on a, a wire in the middle of the room, and the closer you were to the microphone, the louder your instrument was, and that they recorded the whole album that way. That was just the early days of open room recording, basically. That was that was the 50s. That was before the Beatles when they first came up with uh, multi-track recording. Yep. This was uh, how everybody recorded, just a microphone in the middle of the room. Even the Beatles started with mono recordings, though, in they the early did, days. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Get a mic, hold it in the middle of the room, and uh, just talk around it. I, I'm really excited to get a multi-part recording. So far, it's just been these monologues, which are fantastic. But I want to get a couple people involved. So Yeah, good. All right, one more thing. Uh, no, two more things before we get into the recap of this week's episode. Okay. I'm going to do, um, I'm going to bring back the listener email of the week, Jason. Oh, cool. Where'd it go? It, it just disappeared for a little while, that's all. It went into the annals of memory forgetfulness. I'd say it went into the Talking Dead vault, and it's it's we're bringing it back out of the vault for at oh, least one episode. Right. This comes hit, from hit Andy. Me. Hit you? Hit me. <laughs> All right. This comes from Andy in Weston Supermare, UK. He says, don't you think it would have been far more impactful and suited Glenn's story more if upon waking up and escaping the prison, he was the one who stumbled across Herschel Zombie's head? As you mentioned, he had no idea what had happened to him, and finding the remains of his father-in-law, and with still no sign of Maggie, this could have been a real key moment this season, which I feel they missed out on. Glenn having to put Herschel out of his misery, and then looking at the watch he gave him, signifying time's ticking, Glenn, time to move on. I like this idea. I thought it was a pretty cool idea, rather than have Michonne find Herschel's head. Herschel means more to Glenn, certainly. Yeah. And it could have been a really emotional moment and a sort of uh, uh, just a, as as Andy says, it could have really signified sort of Glenn's next steps and even almost the next steps of the whole group, putting right. this behind them and moving forward. I think that would, uh, that sounds like it would have been good. And it, it, it does feel like it's a missed opportunity. A little bit. I'm, I'm fine with uh, the way they did it too. You know, Michonne finding it. 
that comes from the comic, of course. Uh, but if they're going to change things, you know, why not change for the better? And and maybe this would have been better, maybe not. Of course, it depends on how they sort of execute it. But it does sound like a, a good, op- uh, well, maybe a missed opportunity. Maybe it's just a different decision, different direction. But I think it would have been cool to see that. You know, I think uh, Stephen Yun probably could have knocked that emotional scene out of the park. So, yep, absolutely. Good times. Okay. Uh, thank you, Andy. The ratings. Remember how we used to talk about ratings? Oh, yeah, the ratings. <laughs> Bringing that back out of the Talking Dead vault <laughs> as well. In the so, the first two episodes since we returned uh, for season four, for the second half of season four, they've had some pretty good ratings, Jason. Yeah. After. The one that was episode number uh, nine, that had 15.76 million viewers. Wow. Not quite a record, but pretty close. Still holy crap. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Absolutely. The record is 16 point something million. The next one, Inmates, still a good showing with 13.34 million. Yeah. But down a little bit. Now, both episodes beat the Olympic coverage uh in in the states speaking of the olympics really yeah and inmates i believe was on the same weekend or maybe the same night as the nba all-star game and it beat that too wow it beat sport it did we've talked about how football you know football is one of the most watched things in the u.s i'm sure basketball's right up there as well and baseball if it was baseball season but the nba all-star game you got to think had a fair number of people tuning in i don't have the number on that but it would be like the the nhl all-star game on hockey night in canada in this country right a lot of people watch that that's true that's 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 crazy that uh, the walking dead beat that out and we have well and we have one-tenth the population of the united states here in canada so you gotta you know add a factor of of uh, 10 there. So I don't know if the NHL All-Star Game and, and the NBA All-Star Game compare that way, but I'm just saying that I'm sure a lot of people were watching it, but not quite 3.34 million. Yeah. <laughs> so good for you, Walking Dead. This show, if it keeps up at this rate, is never going to end. It's going to replace baseball. <laughs> it will. <laughs> the Walking Dead, America's <laughs> national pastime. That's right. <laughs> you know what? That works. <laughs> they sort have of. bats. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right, should we finally, I don't know how deep into this episode are, but should we finally get into recapping this week's episode called Claimed? Yes, I do believe we should. We should probably have done it like 10 minutes ago, but we're going to start right right now. Season 4, episode 11, Claimed. Uh, We start out, there are some zombies reaching for a balloon stuck on a street sign. Yeah, it's a party. It's a party. It is. That's what they're like, hey, let's eat that. We can eat that. Balloons! Who doesn't love a balloon? (laughs) That's right. Abraham's truck comes barreling down the road. Glenn and Tara are in the back. They come to some wrecked vehicles blocking the street, and the zombies that were getting the balloon have followed them, and they stop because of the wrecked vehicles, and uh, Abraham gets out out and kills them, but he has a bit of trouble with one of them. He he misses the uh, crowbar strike to the head. And uh, he eventually, you know, gets through that zombie, which is fine, with a little bit of help, little bit of help from Tara, who gets right. out of the back of the truck. That's a deuce and a half, I believe. What which, is uh, it? A two, it's a two and a half ton truck. Oh, really? 
Which what yeah they call they have them in the uh, the Canadian military and they call them a deuce and a half and they're huge like the tires are massive and they're big trucks they're really high up you could uh, you can't get them stuck like you you could drive it through a, a bog for half an hour and you wouldn't be able to get that thing stuck really how deep of a swamp do you think you'd have to drive into for that thing to get stuck uh, past the windshield really oh yeah. Like they have a snorkel, so you uh, and as long as the engine's running, you uh, it won't it, it'll be fine unless you wait, go up past the windshield. Wait a minute, that means two things to me. One, that that thing is airtight, so water isn't getting into the cab. Oh no, you'll yeah, you get your feet wet, like you'll be soaked to the bone, but the engine will keep running and the tires will keep turning and that sucker will keep moving. Okay, so as long as you're not underwater <laughs> physically, yeah. you can yeah, drive. Yeah, well, I mean, that. up to the up to the windshield. I mean, you'd have to you'd, you'd have to drown the uh, the driver to get those things stuck right so the engine will function completely underwater yeah wow much like a humvee huh humvees have snorkels or i guess they they can't have uh, snorkels as well wow that's yeah uh, they used to uh, we used to drive around on those when i was in the uh, the reserves uh they they would haul around uh, the howitzers so we had uh um we had artillery it was an artillery regiment that i was in so they'd pull around artillery and those things uh they were great. So that's a serious, serious hell. Huge. It's a serious vehicle. It really is. Wow, that's cool. I, I didn't know that it was that massive. I just figured it was some, like, military truck. Uh, deuce, I think it's a deuce and a half. It seems a little small, so it might not be. I might be wrong, but uh, I believe it's a two-and-a-half-ton truck, a staple of the uh, the U.S. and Canadian military. So. Okay. Well, if anyone else out there knows better, uh, let us know. But that's cool. That's good to know. So no matter what, fantastic for plowing down zombies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not getting stuck. Like, they may crawl up and get into the cab and stuff, but uh, you're not going to get stuck with uh, a bunch of zombies under the tires, much like that Hyundai did. Huh. I bet I, I bet those things use a lot of gas, though. Or diesel. diesel yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so, <clears throat> Abraham eventually kills that zombie with a bit of help from Tara, and she mentions that he was smiling as he killed the zombies. And he responds with, I guess I'm the luckiest guy in the world, before they go to move the cars out of the way. Now... What do you think he meant by that exactly? Well, some people, uh, you know, when uh, the tough get going or the the tough the, the going gets tough, the tough get going. And some people, you know, when the shit hits the fan, they uh, they find their element. Oh, so he just he's just trying to say this, you know, this whole zombie apocalypse scenario kind of works for me. I, I fit in yeah. here. Yeah, this 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 is my thing. I found my thing finally. <laughs> the world had to end, but you know, I'm I'm good. Some people are like that. Okay. Yeah, I can I can buy into that. Uh I was sort of thinking that maybe he meant more, you know, I've survived this long and I've gotten really good at this. I guess that's kind of the same thing. And in that way I'm a bit I'm a bit lucky. I'm still alive. Right. And to you know, to really excel at something and to to want to get good at something, you have to have to enjoy it. That is true. It really helps to love your job. It does. <laughs> well, we go to opening credits, and when we come back, we've got Carl eating cereal in the house. Uh, Michonne comes up, and he laughs at her extremely comfortable and attractive shirt, <laughs> as she I says. I like large shirts. <laughs> Airy, nice and flowy on your oh, body. I love, I love getting absolutely massive shirts just for wearing around the house. I like getting uh, super big shirts <laughs> Well, you for know, sleeping. You, you want to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, she sits down and they joke about having no, uh, soy milk. Carl tells a story about how he hates it and he'd, uh, they're having a nice time here. They're, they're laughing, they're chummy, everything seems to be good. And Carl starts to say 
how terrible soy milk is and that he'd rather have Judith's formula than the soy milk, but he stops and cuts himself off right at that uh, moment, and the, the mood suddenly gets a little darker. Yeah, that's a, a sad thing when uh, you're having a good time and all of a sudden you get brought up short and have a, a bad memory, and yeah, you get all sad all of a sudden. Uh, and then we go to Rick and Michonne. They're chatting in the kitchen. He thanks her for making Carl laugh, and he says that he can't be his best friend and his father. It doesn't right. work that way. You have to choose one or the other. Yeah. And being his father, he, cho- he chooses his father. They talk briefly about what they should do next, and uh, Rick decides that they'll stay there until they figure it out. And uh, Michonne decides to go on a supply run with Carl while Rick rests for one more day. Right. It's a good plan. It is. They need food, supplies, and so on. So then they're leaving, and Rick gives Carl his gun, his famous trusty handgun, or not... I guess it's a handgun, right? It's a Colt Python. Yeah, it's a handgun. Yep, and they agree to be back by noon. Now, Carl seems distant with his dad at this point, but he tells him he's just hungry. He's okay, I'm just, I'm just hungry, he says. Yeah, he's a little, he's a little sad. He, I think he's still probably, you know, it's only been, it's probably the next day from when Michonne showed up in the night. or Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, no, she showed up in the morning, so it might be that very day still. Well, she said uh, you were unconscious yesterday. Well, I'm awake today, so it's a very short time frame. Right, yeah. So he, Carl's probably still feeling a little bit, uh, even though he's rebonded with his father, I'm sure he's still feeling a little bit, you know, upset about everything. Yeah. But he says he's just hungry. Rick goes back inside as they leave. He pushes the couch back against the door, which I guess is important, and then he heads upstairs for a nap. Right. We go to Carl and Michonne now with bags full of supplies. They're coming out of a house. And Michonne is trying to talk to Carl, but he's still kind of being distant, even with her, which is interesting. And this time he says, I'm just tired. Yeah. So is he making up excuses? Oh, yeah. He's he's moody. There's something bothering him. He's sad because of his sister, and he's uh, sad because they lost everybody, and he's hormonal because uh, he's a teenage boy, and uh, he's just, no, leave me alone. I'm sad. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. He's tired. I guess he can be hungry and tired. That's what happens in this world. Um, I just thought it was a strange or a bit of a jarring uh, juxtaposition with a couple scenes earlier. He was so friendly and happy with Michonne until the very end, obviously. And now he's cold and distant from everyone. But, you know, maybe it's it's related to that Judith comment that he almost oh, made. It definitely is. Yeah, definitely is. Um, what happens next? Oh, Michonne pulls out some crazy cheese that she found, and she kind of sprays it into her mouth and gargles it like a zombie. Carl is not impressed. Well, he's not, uh, he's not in a very good mood. No, but, you know, if I did that... crabby, if somebody did something like that, you don't necessarily (laughs) laugh. I don't know. If I did that in front of my kids, they'd probably laugh. Yeah, wait till they're teenagers. Oh, true. <laughs> in that case, they'd want to divorce they'd themselves. Probably want to get me. away from you as fast as possible, Dad. Yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> now I don't know about you, Jason, but her like making zombie noises with a mouthful of cheese was one of the grossest things I've ever seen on this show, and that's saying something. <laughs> you thought that was gross? I did. I thought it was nasty. I don't know why. Because uh, what are you familiar with? Crazy cheese. I'm, is I'm, that a thing? I'm familiar with string cheese. String cheese is is one thing, but this is like a can of like foam cheese. 
Yeah, foam cheese I'm I'm not a connoisseur of. Yeah, so I, I, I was just wondering if crazy cheese was a thing and if you were aware of such a cheese dispensing device. So you don't have cheese, crazy cheese where you come from? I don't know what crazy cheese is. Is it like, can you buy canned cheese, spray cheese in Canada? No, well, I, I've never personally seen it, but it must be a thing. I don't know. Spray uh, cheese. Maybe you can. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you can. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I'd be buying it because it grosses me out, especially now that I've seen it in this context. I, I typed in spray cheese in Google, and one of the uh, the second link is seven reasons easy cheese is worse for you than cocaine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> in that case, there's no chance I'm buying it. It, it, and then I clicked on the link, and there's like a, a graphic that has a can of Easy Cheese, and then a greater than symbol, and then a uh, a picture of cocaine. <laughs> easy Cheese greater than cocaine. Yeah, well, that implies <laughs> that it's better, but I think yeah. w- they said that it's worse for you, right? Yeah, it's worse for you than cocaine. Either way, sounds <laughs> nasty and looks nasty on screen, in my opinion. Yeah. So they approach the next house, and. Michonne ends up telling Carl that she had a three-year-old son. Okay, so let me uh, let me stop you there for a second. So they they came out of that first house and their bags are all full. Yes, right. And the first thing they do is go into another house. Where are they going to put the stuff they find from that house? I admit I had the same thought. They looked like they were packed to the gills right there. And why not just head home at that point and unload? Yeah, but they You're go done. to another house. You filled a couple of bags. Go home. Yeah, they. I, yeah, I you understand. can unload the bags and go out like later that day, or you can go out tomorrow morning. Like, why go to the next house? And when they went to the next house, um, they opened the door and went in while carrying all their bags. It's like if you're going to clear the house, put your bags down, go in, so that you have all your you know mobility and arms and things that you can use. Clear the house and then come out and get your bags. Well, you want to leave them indoors in case someone else comes along and steals them, don't you? Well, you don't want to have your hands full when you're you're met by a family of zombies in yeah. the house. Okay, that's very true. So put them down, go in, make sure there's no zombies right behind the door, maybe move your bags inside, and then yeah. clear the house out. Yeah, but personally I call bullshit on this whole thing because these two people are professional uh, you know, people. They do this for, you know, for a living, essentially, <laughs> right yeah. now. They would know better than to do any of this. They would, they, their bags are full, go unload. No, I'm with you. I was thinking the same thing. In fact, when they cut to this scene before the crazy cheese stuff, I thought to myself, wow, did they ever, is that ever a good haul? Like, they did that quick. Yeah. And I thought they were on their way home already. We weren't going to see any of this scavengering stuff. But no, they go to another house. They go right in there, all nonchalant, thinking, ah, we'll just find more bags and fill them up, I guess. Why not get as much as we can? Yeah. So that's what they do. Carl starts asking questions like, what was the, her son's name? Where she married? All these sorts of things. And uh, she says, I'll answer your questions one room at a time, one question at a time, after we clear it out. Right. We go to Rick. He's asleep. But, oh, my God, there are voices in the house. Is I he- couldn't tell if, uh, at the, right at the beginning, I couldn't tell if the voices were in his head or in the house. Me either. I didn't know if he was dreaming them or if they were actually there. But then he opens his eyes. And he hears the voices, so you know that they are now in the house. Right. Uh, As for what they were saying and what was going on, it was pretty difficult to hear for me and get some context in the conversation. From what I could find out is that there was 
some guy begging, saying things like, no, please, no, please. Then there was a big thump and some laughter. So they beat a guy up or killed a guy at, at least. Right. It, the the important thing, I think, is that that sort of indicates that these were not friendly people. Yeah, they're a pack of wild dogs, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so we go to, Rick opens his eyes and is in panic. We go to commercial. When we come back, we're still with Rick. Rick, he grabs his watch from the bedside table and hides under the bed as the raiders, as I am calling them, come up the stairs. Now, uh, one thing I want to point out is that the uh, uh, the bed that Rick was sleeping on, mm-hmm. uh, the bedside table that was right next to it, mm-hmm. is beautiful. <laughs> it's just it's a wonderful bedside table. It looks like it's like solid real wood and uh, finely crafted. I was really uh, I really liked it. I want to know where to find that or build your own, man. Well, I could build my own, but uh, you know, to buy something like that would be. Uh, you know, a few hundred dollars at least, like three, four hundred dollars just for the side table. Maybe more. I mean, handcrafted solid wood furniture is expensive. Yeah. So I just wanted to point out that that was a very nice bedroom suite that uh, he was sleeping on. Well, frankly, it was a pretty nice house, too. It was a pretty nice house. Now, the because uh, I want to bring that up, and, and the quality of the bed frame, what it looked like, looked really nice. But uh, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Okay. All right. So Rick's hiding under the bed. Uh, one of the raiders, or the wild dogs, as you called them, which I may like better, <laughs> right? comes upstairs. We're getting Rick's perspective from under the bed. The guy is looking around the room. He checks the closet. You see his feet. You see his, his uh, gun dangling. And then he flops down on the bed. Right. And this is where I want to bring back the, uh, the quality of the bed. <laughs> that didn't take long. <laughs> it, it didn't make any sense to me because uh, the boards that were holding up the mattress with no box spring... Uh, were all bent and the bed was creaky. This quality of bedroom set would have a proper mattress and box spring, and it wouldn't be that bendy or, or creaky. I don't There's know. no way. I don't know, man. Like, houses have all sorts of different levels of furniture in them, right? Well, that's, what I, that, that's fine, but I'm pointing out the level of this furniture compared to the creakiness of the bed, and they don't match up in my head. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, someone might have an old bed just because it works, it's functional, but they've replaced the, the end tables. I don't know. Yeah, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you only buy things in sets. Well, no, just that, I, you know, I have a, a relatively okay bedroom set that I've had for quite some time. It's not the best. It's like from Sears or something. and But there's a box spring and a mattress, and I can get under that bed, and you could get on top of the bed and jump up and down all you want, and it's not going to creak or move the way that this bed does. Can we try that next time I come to your house? Yeah, sure. No problem. All right. Sounds good. We cut over to Michonne, though, and she is looking at a painting of bunnies in the house that they're searching. Right. Bunny rabbits. I think I that like is a, a callback to someone else we know who likes bunny rabbits on this show. Yeah, in, in a different way. Absolutely. And Carl's there. He continues to ask questions, and she continues to look at the art. Now, through, through the conversation, we learn a few things. One, that Michonne's son was named Andre Anthony. Right. Um, wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago we talked about Maybe the fact that we're, we might not learn much more about her, her uh, family, her son, her pre-apocalypse life. Yeah, we were wrong about that. Totally. So Andre Anthony was her son. What's Michonne's last name? Do we know? Uh, yes, but I, I can't think of it right now. Well, if you look up book. the Walking Dead wiki, I'm pretty sure her last name is there. Uh, we also learned, though, that she had no other children. And Carl asks when it happened. 
uh, when, you know, when he was killed or died. And she says it happened after, after everything happened. So she's admitted to him that she was, or he was alive until after the apocalypse. Right. And she says that Carl is the first person she's told, but that it's not really a secret. She just hasn't opened up before this. Right. Now they find a wrapped up painting in the hallway too, which Michonne unwraps and takes a look at. And it is a painting of a brown haired woman and either the painting i think the painting has been vandalized or is covered in blood what what did you, what was your feeling on that thing uh no it was uh i think it was a painting i don't think it was vandalized i think it was a painting of someone uh after the apocalypse that was trying to get out their angst the painting like in in its entirety was done post apocalypse yes Oh, like it was a painting they did, and they're just like, "Wow, the whole world has come to an end." I'm trying to get out these, these feelings, and they paint this uh, this depiction, and then was all nicely wrapped up, and then leaned against that door. Right. Why that was the case, I'm not 100 percent sure. But see, I was. Thinking, it was behind that door that all the crap happens next. Well, it was. I know that. But why would they wrap it up and lean it on that door? And I see. I was thinking it was a painting of a nice painting of a woman, and it was. It was coated in blood from some uh, something bad happening, or it was it was post. You know, it was it was the blood was added later. <laughs> the blood was added. The blood usually gets off at the third floor. No, uh, I think it's the uh, I think it's the it's uh, the painting. Like the whole thing was done in its entirety post apocalypse, okay. and uh, was you know the the artist was obviously upset. Right. Well, okay, I'm not sure, but Michonne goes through that door that it was leaning up against, uh, hand on her sword. She goes through a bathroom and into a kid's room. She, in the kid's room, she finds another door, and it's pink. She goes in, finds another kid's room, and in there she finds, I guess, the family that lived in the house all dead. Yeah. And seriously, disgustingly decomposed. Now she finds two adults... And or at least two adults and three kids, I think. They appear to have killed themselves, all with shots to the head, head wounds. And Michonne actually cries a little bit because it's such a horrific, shocking scene. Yeah. <clears throat> now, this whole scene had just fantastic tension, I thought. It did, it did, it did. You know, and there was a lot of that in this whole episode, actually. A lot of good tension. And... A little bit of a horror movie vibe to me, you know? She's going into a room. You don't know what's in there. You're expecting something to jump out. Um, good soundtrack. It's really creepy. And I thought it was really, really well done. It was. I really uh, I really liked it. And I was tense in this scene as well. Like, it, it kind of went from, uh, you know, talky-talky. They're talking about stuff. They're looking at art. And, oh, they're looking in a room. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, there's tension. Yeah, well, it 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 was a it was a great switch from sort of the emotional, sad kind of stuff that Michonne was admitting to Carl with her son, how he's no longer alive and stuff stuff like that, um, and then a bonding moment for them. So you kind of feel good about that because Carl says, "I'll you know your secret's safe with me, even though it's not a secret." And then we switch right into this tense horror movie kind of thing, and it just they played with your emotions as the viewer pretty well here. I thought, yeah, and I liked it a lot. Uh, so Michonne's in that room. Carl approaches. She hears him coming. And before he gets there, uh, she comes out. And he assumes that there's a baby in there. But she says, no, it's just a dog. It's a dog. 
but she wants to protect him from seeing, you know, the horrific scene, I think. Well, no one wants to see a dead dog. <laughs> no, that is true. Yeah. That is very true. Uh, and Carl says that maybe Andre and Judith are together somewhere. And this seems to make Michonne feel a little bit better. She smiles and they decide to head back. Well, that would be nice that if, you know, if they were together. Yeah. They're not, but it would be nice. No, that's right. After the commercial break, we're back with Rick. He's still under the bed. The guy is on the bed sleeping now. We can hear him snoring. Rick tries to come out from under, but another guy comes in, and the new guy fights the sleeping guy for the bed. <laughs> such a, these, this is a weird clan of, of, of people. Well, that, you know, that's why I was thinking they were a pack of dogs, because that's what a dog would do, right? That's what my cats do. You know, if I have, uh, there's one cat sleeping in a spot and the other cat goes, you know, that really looks like a nice spot. I'm going to whack you on and about the head until you move. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. Yeah. There's a little kerfuffle and then the cat gets the spot. And then she promptly goes to sleep. Sure. And then the other cat thinks about it for a while and comes back and does the same thing, I guess. No. Well, they, they have different personalities. The, uh, the other one would just kind of go and find another spot and yell, right. usually yell at us. Well, one, one has to be dominant and the other subservient so right so that's why i think they're a pack of wild dogs essentially is that they're, they're just fighting for the sake of uh establishing dominance right uh but what happens is that the one guy ends up on the floor right in front of the bed getting his ass kicked and he's being strangled i think by the other guy yeah. um but he sees rick under the bed but is unable to say anything before he passes out right and the other guy lies down on the bed and rick is still stuck under there Mm-hmm. Well, I knew as soon as he saw Rick that he would be either dead or unconscious in a second. Yeah, of course. He's not going to yell out, hey, there's a dude here. Because <laughs> yeah. that would throw a, you know, that would be a big change. Yeah. Um, we go to Glenn. He, so uh, they're, they're on the road now. He demands that, uh, what happens? Oh, yeah, we go to Glenn. He wakes up in the back of the truck. There we go. They're driving down the road. Right. And he finds out from Tara, who's also there in the back, that they've passed the prison bus three hours ago. And he's been asleep a long time. Yeah. And Tara says that they were all dead on the bus, but Glenn demands they stop the truck. Right. Eventually, Abraham does when he smashes the window. And Glenn gets out, starts to walk away, but Abraham orders him back in the truck, and he says, when you find people, you stick together. Your mission to find your wife is stupid. Right. <laughs> Basically what he says. Your mission is dumb. You are dumb. Don't do that. Stay with us. When you find yeah. people, you got to stick together. And then he talks a little bit about the mission that they're on, and he says they need to get Eugene to Washington because he's a scientist, and he knows what caused this mess. Yeah, he's a scientician. He sure is. <laughs> he knows what caused the zombie apocalypse yeah. and apparently has an idea on how to solve it. I love his mullet. I think his mullet is the best. Yeah, he had a pretty good mullet, and it was very popular on the internet last Mullets night. Mullets are coming back in style, and I'm thinking about growing one. Uh, okay, you really should. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back, my friend. That's right. Now, Abraham in this scene also introduces the group. He introduces his two traveling companions, and this scene reminded me of a scene from Anchorman when... <laughs> Brian Fantana is introducing yeah. himself near the beginning of that movie. I know what you're asking yourself, and the answer is yes. I have a nickname for my penis. It's called the Octagon, but I also nickname my testes. 
My left one is James Westfall, and my right one is Dr. Kenneth Noisewater. I'm Sergeant Abraham Ford, and these are my companions, Rosita Espinosa and Dr. Eugene Porter. <laughs> and just the way he delivered the lines and the fact that there were three people he was introducing, it, it just reminded me of that scene. And, it was funny. And I couldn't stop laughing, and I'm not going to say it ruined it for me because I did think it was hilarious, but it did add unnecessary comedy to the scene. Did, have you named your fists? No, he's not introducing his fists. No, I understand that, but that's it, also another uh, comedy trope is that to have uh, funny fist names. In fact, that might be an Anchorman too. It could be as well. I mean, Anchorman also. Yeah, I know it's definitely there's uh, there's a bunch of stuff in Thirty Rock where uh, everybody has funny fist names. Right. <laughs> I, so I was just wondering if you happen to have named your fist. I have personally have not named my fists. No, neither have I. Uh, I've really never felt the need. To name my fists or any other part of my body. Yeah. Anyways, I got a good laugh out of this. I went and watched that scene in Anchorman later, and I, it totally, totally came off the same to me. Good I'm stuff. sure that was not supposed to be how it happened. After a commercial break, Glenn, we're still with them. He asks, uh, he asks what is going on, what happened, and, of course, they say it's classified, so they don't give him any real information. Yeah, Eugene. Yeah, and they're but they're they've been talking to Washington on the satellite phone. So apparently they have a working satellite phone. That yeah, that and well they haven't uh, been able to get in contact with them for the last couple of weeks though. Right. But having a working satellite phone that uh, that's a pretty big deal. It would be. Now Abraham says they could use Glenn's help, but he still declines and starts to walk away. And this is where Abraham says it's a waste of time looking for Maggie. There's a zero chance he'll find her and this pisses Glenn off a little bit. He turns around and punches Abraham, and they fight while the girls, Rosita and Tara, try to uh, pull them apart. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, zombies start coming out of the cornfield near Eugene, who's been hanging around the truck, which is now, you know, a little ways down the road. And he tries to use a machine gun to shoot them, but he is absolutely god-awful with the thing. Yeah, he's absolutely horrible. Was there a red-headed zombie that came out of the—I'm uh, just wondering about the children of the corn— you know, whether Malachi was in there or not. Uh, you know, I didn't notice. Um, but people have made that connection, children of the corn, because they came out of the cornfield. Um, he manages to put more rounds in the truck, though, <laughs> that he's standing beside than the walkers coming out of the forest or the cornfield. Right. So the rest of them, including Glenn, come running back, and they start shooting walkers until they've cleared them all out. The truck at this point is leaking a lot of fluid, and Abraham here delivers the best line of the episode by yeah. saying, son of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good phrase. I like that. It really is. I'm, I'm going to add that to my lexicon, I think. You should. Yeah. Um, we're, we cut back to Rick, and he's under the bed still. <laughs> and the yeah. second guy now is on top, and he's snoring. And the other guy is still passed out on the floor, so they are none the wiser to Rick's hiding spot. There is a repeated knocking sound coming from somewhere in the house. Yeah. wasn't sure what that was at first. But Rick takes the opportunity to slide out, and he manages to avoid detection and get into the teenager's room as another guy comes up the stairs. And this is uh, the guy making the sound. He's tennis ball bouncing guy. Right. And he, everywhere he goes, he's bouncing tennis ball, a tennis ball off the walls and the floor. Any significance to that, do you think? Uh, he, it's, again, establishing dominance. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm making noise. You always know where I am. I'm in charge. I don't care about the noise. 
Uh, it's just it's just a way of uh, bullying the other guys. Interesting theory. I thought it was more just so that Rick had a better idea of where the guy was in the house and how close he was. Oh yeah, it's definitely a uh, a plot device. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know, in character, I think that that's what he was doing. That's a little. That's my little bit cynical take on it, to be honest with you. But you're right. Okay, he was establishing dominance. That's what these guys are all about. Well, what else? You know, if it, if he didn't have the bouncing ball thing, how would we? You know, he would have to have a peg leg for him to be <laughs> ominous and walking around the house on the hardwood floors and an eye patch. Boom, thump, boom, thump. Yeah, the. Uh, I think we should have gone with a peg leg. I think that's a missed op- missed opportunity. Yeah. Well, we've already had a peg leg character. His name was Herschel. No, we had a prosthetic leg. Okay. I'm talking like the full on eye patch, parrot on the shoulder, peg leg dude. All right. So you want a pirate? Yeah, Captain Hook. That's what I want. I want Captain Hook. Is what I want in this peg show. leg and a hook hand. Yeah. Uh, Rick tries for the windows, but he can't get out. These windows are stuck or locked. Well, the, they're locked halfway up. Like, there's, like, the little latches. Every window that I saw him try had the latch halfway up. Okay. And, uh, you know, if he was a human being that grew up in a house, he'd probably know that. You know, maybe they were painted shut. That happens sometimes. He didn't try the locks, though. No, you're right. He didn't try the locks. And it looks like a pretty nice house that's been well-maintained. I'm pretty sure that the uh, the locks would work and you'd be able to open the windows. Well, in his moment of panic, he didn't think of that. Right. And he couldn't get out those windows. Uh, the intruders, or the wild dogs, they start yelling about how there's a woman shacking up in here and all of the inappropriate comments that these types of people might make. Uh, now, that's all in the background. Rick continues to hide, and he enters. He ends up in a bathroom, and there's a dude sitting on the toilet who he proceeds to strangle to death and takes Which his gun. Which was funny. Why was that guy sitting on the toilet? Because, well, his pants weren't down. His pants were the toilet were lid was closed. Yep. He was not pooping. He was just but sitting his, there. But his boots were off. Like, okay, he may- took off his boots. All right, so you know what he was doing? He was getting ready to use the toilet. He was t- he took his boots off. He was sitting down to do that. And that's when Rick came in before he could drop trow and open the toilet. Uh, okay. That's what I'm... I'll g- tentatively agree to that. That's what I'm going with, because why else would he just be sitting there? Did he just need a moment alone? I think maybe he did. I think it was more of a, if I go into the bathroom, uh, these guys won't pick on me, because uh, they're a pack of wild dogs, and they'll just try and beat me up, but I'm going to try and just, I need a, I just need a moment to myself here. I don't need to poop, but I need to, I just need a moment to myself. <laughs> I I guess. I don't know. If his boots were off, though, I didn't notice that. If his boots were off, I'm thinking he sat down. He's one of those guys that doesn't like to take a crap with his shoes on, maybe. And so well, he who does, really? Yeah. He sat down, took them off, and then he was just about to stand up and take his pants off, but Rick came in. Yeah, he was in his bare feet. Hmm. Bare feet, eh? Yeah. Well, you know, George Costanza take his, takes his shirt off. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can see that, though. Okay, maybe he, maybe he wasn't there to use the bathroom maybe he was there just to air out his feet or clean his boots or something i don't know i don't know maybe he wanted to wash his socks chip his toenails with his teeth and he (laughs) needed a spot to do that and the best spot he could find was sitting on the can okay well i think we've come up with a number of explanations now yeah and you can take your pick it's just odd it would be better it'd be a better fight if his pants were down It certainly would have been a different fight. Well, I mean, they could have shot it in a, a slightly different way, but, you know, it would have been more believable if, the, you know, he was taking a crap. <laughs> you know, true. they didn't have to have, like, poop flying all over the place. 
No, right? thank you. And then his, his, his tally whacker, you know, coming around and whacking Rick in the face kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't have to go that graphic, but they could have made it even a little bit believable. Well, I'm just saying, I think we've come up with some believable scenarios for what he was doing there. Right. Okay. <laughs> the important thing is Rick strangles him to death and takes right. his gun, which is a pretty good looking gun. And his jacket. Oh, he took his jacket too. He took his jacket. Smart. And he opened the door slightly. Yes. So we go to a commercial when we come back. Rick is getting out the bathroom window, but as you said, he first opens the door uh, just a crack. Just a little bit, yeah. Yep. Now he gets out the window. He drops down to a deck below. He takes cover briefly and then heads down the stairs and makes his way around the house. He ends up hiding below the front porch, and tennis ball guy comes out. Right. And he's looking around. He spits a lot, and then he sits down on the railing and starts eating a can of soup. Uh, We go over to Abraham, who's trying to fix the truck, but apparently it's a lost cause. Rosita finds Glenn's picture of Maggie on the ground, which is interesting, and hands it back to him. (laughs) Did you see how she bent over and picked that up? Are they really going that blatantly uh, for eye candy with Rosita? Okay, well... Like, she bent down and stuck her ass in the camera. You know what? This is not the first time this show has done an ass shot of one of the female characters, I'm, I'm sad to say. Well, we, we, had, uh, we had Maggie's side boob there that one time. We did, but that was because they were stripping to have sex in the pharmacy, right? That's, that's fine. Um, we've had lots of topless men and so on. Uh, but I'm talking about back in season one, we pick up a, a shot following Amy's ass as she walks through the campsite. And then the right. camera pans away from it. But you, you follow it for a good, you know, seven or eight steps, I think, of her. Right. So this is not un, this is not new to this show. I'm calling her Marianne from now on. Marianne. From Gilligan's Island. All right. Because she's got the belly shirt on. She's got the hip hugger shorts. It's, uh, it's essentially she's Marianne. It really reminded me of, of Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. Oh, yeah. I can see Lara Croft. You know, little shorts, boots. Long uh, hair. Long hair, yeah. I I posted the photo of her on our Facebook page last week and asked people what they thought, and I even mentioned that. And most of the responses came back that, you know, she's just too made, like she's too perfect, she's too clean, she has too much exposed skin for the zombie apocalypse, and she's got a gun on each hip. Yeah, I mean that that's cool. I'm I'm fine with that, but the rest of her getup seems a little bit ridiculous to me. But you know, the whole all three of them are ridiculous. Well, I mean, true. they're they're all like just caricatures of uh, who they're supposed to be. They're not they're not realistic in any way. None of them are. So is this a problem? Like, is this something we're upset about? Because the more I think about it, the more I think I might be. No, I don't think I'm upset. I think it's kind of campy, and they're they're just ridiculous. But uh, I can live with it. They're all going to die soon, so I'm not overly worried about it. Yeah, I, you, I don't know that for sure, of course, but you could be right. I mean, I don't know. It's it does seem like they've amped up the camp feature for for these three characters. Now, they're from the comic books, and you know, in the comics, you could argue that they have some of those characteristics as well. I think, um, but it certainly isn't as blatant. The comics don't feel as in your face with it, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, each of them are. It, yeah, the more I think about it, the more ridiculous it is. I mean, we have uh, what's-her-name with the hip-huggers and the Laura Croft kind of look. We have Abraham with his uh, shirt sleeve, shirtless or sleeveless shirt, uh, gung-ho military ha- haircut kind of thing. And then we have uh, Eugene with his friggin' mullet 
and his un- inability to fire a weapon in any kind of accurate manner, which is ridiculous for someone that's been with military people for the last uh, however long. It doesn't matter how long. Uh, he would, if he didn't know how to shoot a gun, somebody would show him. Yeah, somebody would know, definitely show him. Take 10 rounds and show him how to do something. Aim before you pull the trigger. <laughs> that's Don't- it. Yeah, that, seriously. Step number one. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm a little surprised he was able to get the safety off. To be frank, yeah, that's true. Well, okay, so yeah, these these three are coming off as a little bit ridiculous, and I hope they tone that down. If they're going to be characters on the show for a while, I don't know if they are. I wouldn't mind if they rein them in a little bit, right? You know, um, what happens? So she grabs the picture of Maggie. Glenn wishes them the best on their trip to Washington and then leaves with Tara, starts walking away. Seeing as they have no truck, Rosita decides to follow them because what else are they going to do? And Eugene does as well, and Abraham ultimately follows them too. Okay, so Eugene says, uh, we go with them until we find another vehicle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we continue north, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's their plan. That's right. Okay, so this raises the question of how hard would it be to find a vehicle? I don't think it would be very hard. Like they're in the in the middle of the country. Uh, like sure they're on a on, on a road that's pretty much abandoned, but I assume that there's got to be uh, farms and a gas station and uh, a corner store or something that they could find within. Like it has it's been three hours since they passed the bus. Is it possible to drive down a paved road for three hours and not pass 50 vehicles that are in working order? I agree with you. I don't think it would be that tough to find a vehicle. Now, they wouldn't find one of the same caliber that they had. No. As we talked about earlier, I didn't realize how serious a truck that was. But So they wouldn't find another one of those. But pickup truck, SUVs, regular cars, whatever, are probably all over the place. There's probably like perfectly mint condition Hyundai's all over the place. Yeah, there's millions of those. <laughs> yeah. Um I think personally it would be more difficult to come across fuel or gas for the car than the car itself. I, I don't know about that. If there's all these cars, they all probably have well, they, they all probably have gas in the tank, but uh you know, gas doesn't last forever. Right? It's been over a year since the zombie apocalypse, which means the gas supplies uh, have not been replenished, which means actual gasoline that is it that that's good is probably very rare at this point. Gas only like it expires that quickly. Yeah, you've got six months before it starts gumming up stuff. Really? Yeah, you can't store gas forever. So gas in like even gas in big tanks at a gas station underground wouldn't be usable anymore if you could get it out. If you could get it out. Yeah, they add preservatives, and you can buy a preservative like uh, Canadian Tire or whatever, gas preservative. So you put that in the, like if you have a gas can that you're storing uh, over the winter for your lawnmower, you put preservative in there. Because if you just right. leave the gas, when you put it in your lawnmower, you're going to have a, first of all, the gas that's still in your lawnmower is going to gum up the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to, so you should leave tanks empty when you're storing. Right, so gas, gas would, be a, would be a problem, more so than the actual vehicle. Yes. Right, so... That's, finding gas itself would be easy. Finding gas that uh, isn't crappy yeah. would be hard, right. if not impossible. Okay. Well, that's the thing. Um, and, and the other thing Eugene says is we don't know what's north. We know we just came from this direction, so we know it's safe. 
I mean, right. that's a bit of an assumption, too, to be honest. Well, they drew, just drove past it. They did, but uh, that brings up another question for me. They apparently had been driving three hours since they passed the bus on the road. Right. You know, even if they're only going 20 kilometers an hour, you're still 60 kilometers from that bus, right? Yep. That's an awful long walk. Uh, Yeah. It's not a one-day walk. That is a multiple-day walk. Well, you can do about 25 kilometers in a day. That's what I'm saying. You know, well, you know, at, at a relatively, uh, you know, an easy pace where you don't walk uh, all all day, all day. And you can do about 4K an hour. Sure. But that's what I'm saying. Like, the first thing that thought to me way back at the beginning that I thought, sorry, way back at the beginning was when, when Tara says, we passed three hours ago, that truck seemed to be moving pretty fast. Now, yeah, they it, was going, it was going faster than 20, that's it, for sure. It, it was definitely going faster than 20. And it, let's say that was faster than the average speed. If they were going 40 kilometers an hour, I mean, you're 120 kilometers away already, you know? Yeah, they've got a five-day walk ahead of them, in, in my in what I thought. Yeah, it's it's a long Or at least a three-day. At least. And I was thinking the whole time, like, Glenn can't just walk back that distance. There's just no way. I mean... Like you said, it would take at least three to five days, and that's assuming he, you know, made it safely with all his that big backpack and all that. So, yeah, they must need another car. You got to think they need another car desperately that yeah. works, so they can turn around and drive back. And if they find that car, Abraham is going to want to turn back north and just keep going. So, this whole thing needs to work itself out somehow. All right. Anyways, they all get together and they leave, and that's it. We go back to Rick. Tennis ball ball guy is sitting there on the railing above him, and at one point he whistles. Did you? Did you? Yeah. Did we make anything of that whistle? I'm not sure. Was he signaling something, or does he just like to whistle? I think he likes to whistle, but I thought for when he first whistled, I thought he was calling a dog. I thought there was going to be a dog in this situation that Rick was going to have to deal with. It kind of sounded like, didn't it? <clears throat> or a uh, horse. Or a horse, yeah. You know, that's a good point. I didn't think of it, but I wouldn't have been surprised if a dog came running around that corner and saw Rick right there. Yeah. But no dog showed up. Uh, Rick sees Carl and Michonne coming back down the street, so he knows he has to act. He has to do something now, uh, or they're just going to walk up to that house and there's going to be trouble. Yep. Uh, Just as he's about to pop out and, I guess, lunge at the guy... Uh, he, there are screams and there is a zombie attack inside the house and he's mm-hmm. able to escape with uh, Carl and Michonne. So the dead guy that he left in the bathroom came back as a zombie, started wandering around the house and served his purpose. Good thing Rick opened that door. Smart Rick, man. I tell you, it's a great idea. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure the guy that uh, uh, that was strangled in front of Rick when he was under the bed didn't die. That's true too. I don't think he was dead. I thought I thought I thought I saw him moving at one point when Rick was under the bed. Is that uh, do you remember that? He I think he passed out because they showed him again and he seemed to be breathing. I think he was just unconscious. Now, he might be dead now if that zombie came out of that room, found him on the floor. The zombie the first thing he would have done is eat the guy on the floor, right? Right. Um but you're right. I don't think he was dead. So there's a possibility that he could wake up and let everybody know that um, I saw a guy under the bed. He's not there now, but we might want to watch out for him. Right. So um, we cut back before the end to the gang walking down the road. Abraham is talking to Tara. He tells her that they're trying to save the world. And what's more important than that? Uh, Certainly not Glenn's search for Maggie. 
How come Abraham has to carry everything? He's the biggest and strongest. Like Rosita's not carrying Jack. Like she's just, you know, able to walk. Is she, you know, is she pulling her weight by just walking around these guys? Like that's her entire job? <laughs> well, I don't know. She she left following Glenn with nothing in her hand and then um, Eugene and Abraham grabbed stuff out of the back of the truck and, and walked with it. So I guess they just haven't evened the load yet. She's just, just got a sense of entitlement, I guess. I think so. I, I think can so, do whatever maybe. I want, and these guys are just going to follow me around because I'm dressed like Laura Croft. Because look or, at me. That's right. look at me, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm Marianne. Follow me. Yeah, and who wouldn't? Uh, Tara questions why Abraham is even on the mission, and she mentions to him that, you know, Eugene's a scientist, and he has a reason, and Rosita clearly is in love with Abraham and would follow him anywhere. I want to know how she knows this. Oh, she's jealous. Tara's jealous. Come on. She just met these people. Well, no, she wants, uh, she just, she sees it in her eyes and she's like, no, I want to hang out with this lady. Uh, no, I think there must be some, something we didn't see that happened in that three hours on the road that we can just assume gave her the impression that uh, Rosita's in love with Abraham. Okay. That's that's all I can go for. I don't know. I, it struck me as odd, though, that she'd just throw that out there, having just met these people. You know, she doesn't know what their relationship is. I don't know. Well, maybe she's an empath. Yeah, maybe. We go back to Carl, Rick, and Michonne. They are walking along the train tracks that we've seen in other episodes. Mm-hmm. Different part of them, I guess, though. They come to a sign, more of a banner, really, on the side of a train car. Yeah, they have the uh, ability to print banners. That's great. Was it printed or was it like handwritten? Uh, either way. Okay, they found well, a banner that was didn't have anything else written on it. When was the last time you saw a banner that didn't have anything written on it? You can paint a sheet, man, with, with words on it. I think that's what it was. Okay. I don't know, something like that. Uh, but it was it was another sign for Terminus. Those who arrive, survive. And Michonne says to Rick, what do you think? And without hesitation, Rick says, let's go. And they let's turn. Let's go. They head off down the tracks, and the end. Time to walk the line. They're going to walk the line straight into Terminus. Um, so that's it. You have the episode. Uh, Jason, what do you say we go and do our break right now, and then come back and talk a little bit more about this episode? Okay. All righty. We're going to do that. We're going to thank our sponsor, everyone. As I said, we'll chat a bit more about this episode when the program continues. How many special people change? How many lives you live is strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Slowly walking down the hall, faster than a cannonball. Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me cup beneath the landslide. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com for the listeners of The Talking Dead. Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial, so you have a chance to check out the service. 
To get you started, we want to recommend a book, one that you might want to pick up as your first choice, and you get to keep it, whether you stay with Audible or not. So why not? Give it a try. Jason, what book should we uh, recommend to the listeners this week? I started listening to this after a listener recommended this last, or not recommended, but mentioned it last week. Foundation by Isaac Asimov. This was the uh, the one with the planet called Terminus. So I bought it and I started listening to it uh, over the last week, and so far I'm really enjoying it. I think, I think it's great. What's your favorite thing about it? It's you know the future ain't what it used to be. Like it was written, uh, Foundation. When was it written? I think it was eighties or seventies. Seventies or eighties. So it's uh, you know I like sci-fi from that era. I've I've always liked sci-fi, seventies sci-fi, because uh, they talk about. Uh, you know, the future, and they have faster than light travel, and they have uh, vast computer systems, yet when you get a ticket, it's a printed ticket. But it's a holographic ticket that actually has moving pictures on it. Isn't that fancy? Like, they would have any kind of paper or, you know, physical medium in the future. Because, you know, it's the 70s. They didn't have a concept of, you know, cell phones, like, or like the, the smartphones that we have now. So I just, I just eat that up. I love it. It sounds really, really cool, and I'm a fan of that kind of stuff myself. So if you want to give this book a try, you should go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for a free 30-day trial with Audible and a free audiobook that you get to keep whether you stick with the service or not. How many special people change? How many lives you live is strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Slowly walking down the hall, faster than a cannonball. Where were you while we were getting high? Okay, it's, uh, we are back, and as promised, I want to talk a little bit more about this episode before we get into Holy Crap, Did You See That? And a couple of things about this episode that I noticed is, first of all, Michonne, like we've never seen her before. Happy, smiling. She was chatty, happy, forthcoming with information. She probably had more dialogue in this episode than she has in almost the rest of the entire series. Um, you think they're actually making their character more like Denai Guerrera? Because Denai Guerrera is nothing like Michonne. If you see her in interviews or anything, she's you know a, a very happy person, very outgoing and kind of bubbly, effervescent personality. But Michonne is definitely not that. Do you mm. think they're kind of moving Michonne into into that kind of thing? Well, I think they are, but I don't think they're doing it because Denai is like that. But you're absolutely right. In in person, in real life, she's absolutely pleasant yeah and very friendly um but i do think they are going that direction with her character because she's been so mopey and morose for so long and i'll be honest with you i think that the writers and the runners of this show are probably hearing the fans a little bit 
who are saying like, when is Michonne going to cheer up or when, is, why is this character such a downer? And I think they're listening to that and they're, they're taking her in the other direction. Right. Well, if the, if the, uh, the showrunners and our writers or the powers that be are listening to this podcast, uh, I think we really need to rethink Michonne's haircut. I'm getting a little tired of the obvious wig and bandana that she's been wearing constantly for the last year and a half. And uh, we need to, something needs to change with, uh, with, her, with her dreadlocks. It's just a little too obvious to me that she's wearing this, you know, hat. I don't know. I, I've never really thought that her hair was a problem. I thought it, it looks quite realistic, personally. But um, if anything, if I could say anything there, it would be that long hair in the zombie apocalypse could be a problem. We learned that from the Walking Dead video game. You know, it's just one more thing that a zombie can grab onto and hold you by. And, and dreads are great for grabbing onto. Like sure. It's just, it's like, uh, you know, a, a rope hat that uh, is attached to your head. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, easy to get your mitts on one of those. Yeah. Um, or at least give her a wig that doesn't have that damn bandana in it, because that bandana has been there for a long time. Yeah, they need to show her maybe taking it out once in a while or something. Put it in a ponytail, like just you know, put it up or something. But yeah. anyway, I just I'm getting uh, I'm getting a little sick of uh, Michonne's hair. All right, well, I felt the the character transformation of her was a little bit jarring in this episode. You know, I know they've been slowly moving towards that, and they've been revealing more about Michonne's story and making her a bigger part of the show, a more fleshed out character. But for me, this just felt like almost going from zero to full on in in the blink of an eye. You know, she was suddenly the happiest, friendliest, most outgoing person on this show all of a sudden. Right. Now, I realized that in the previous episode, or the first one, I mean, she's kind of decided that she's not, like, she's going to live amongst people. She's not going to be a loner anymore. And even in this episode, Rick gives her the chance to, you know, not necessarily be Carl's best friend all the time. Right. And have a break. And she says, I'm done taking breaks. And I get all those things, right? But... I still feel like you gotta you gotta work towards these kind of massive character shifts, and this one just came a little bit too abruptly for me. Right, right, right. That said, I'm I'm okay with these kind of character changes too because I do think that people can make these conscious decisions to change their lives, especially in this kind of extreme circumstance where you need other people to survive and you know, all those other things that go along with the zombie apocalypse. So she's probably just so happy the governor's dead that she's just, you know, so relieved and uh, just ecstatic. Yeah. Yeah. I, it could be part of it. That coupled with her decision to be like, you know what? I'm not going to be alone anymore. I want to stay with these people. I'm going to, I'm going to open up to them. I'm going to make them a family. Yep. Really. Which we saw in the, uh, the, the mid season premiere. We did. She decided to not to spend her whole life alone. Yeah, we we did. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I just it was it was just all of a sudden. Anyways, right. Um, now, what about Rick in this episode? I felt like he was back to to making decisions. You know, he was you know and, and making decisions with input from other people. You know, he wanted to come out on the run with Carl and Michonne, and in hindsight, he probably should have. <laughs> right, but. He also listened to her advice, and she said, "You got to rest for one more day." And he was he he went with that. Um, and then at the end, you know, Michonne 
straight up said, Rick, what do we do? Should we go? And he said yes, and she didn't question that. But she really deferred to his leadership there. Right. So I feel like Rick has come back to a position of leadership, but in sort of a more educated position. Before he was trying to be a dictator. This is not a democracy anymore. And then he went full swing the other way where he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He wanted to be a farmer, wasn't even on the council in the prison. And I think he swung back to sort of a middle ground where he's a leader, he can accept that role, but he's also going to have advisors. He's going to take advice and he might discuss things with people. Right. I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think, again, this is a this is a better character shift for Rick because it's happened over the course of four seasons, basically. He's gone different ways. He's tried different things, and he's come to a point that works. As, you know, contrasted with Michonne's all of a sudden happiest person in the world kind of thing. Right. So. Um, and then what about the guys in the house? Do you think we'll ever see them again? The Mad Dogs? No. no. That's it? No, they were just, uh, they purposefully didn't show their faces too much. We only saw a toilet guy... Uh, well, we you know we saw their faces, but only briefly, and they were nondescript, and they didn't have any personalities. They were just uh, props. No, we won't see them again. No, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with you there. It was it made for a really good scene, or or series of scenes, sequence, as it were. But you're right. I think maybe you know our characters have moved on from that house. They were really just there to kick them out of the house and get them moving. Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't put that together, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because, you know, Rick, as I said a few minutes ago, they discussed and they were going to stay in that house at least till they decide what to do. Well, this forced their hand. It made them, you know, make that decision. Yep, yep. Or it made the decision for them. Um, and now we have Rick and Michonne heading towards Terminus. We've got uh, Carol and Tyrese and the girls heading towards Terminus. And we've got Glenn and Abraham and all them heading back towards the prison which yep. presumably i think they'll they will likely stumble across a sign for terminus or they were heading there the whole time they may have been heading there the whole time but i am pretty sure that uh they'll 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 end up finding their way there we've got maggie uh and uh, sasha and bob there on the highway somewhere likely wondering what to do maybe heading towards Terminus at some point, and then we've got Daryl and Beth going the other way. <laughs> right. Yeah, Daryl and Beth are, are in trouble. Yes, death. Death. All right. So anything else about this episode, though, Jason? I thought it was uh, pretty solid overall. It was... Um, I'm on the fence with this one. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm halfway between... There was some entertaining bits, and it was kind of fun, and the other half of me is going, this was just boring. It was... Uh, nothing really happened. Uh, I mean, we had some character development, but like you say, the character development was either jarring with Michonne or uh, it was the ridiculous caricatures of uh, the three people in the deuce and a half. Um, and nobody else really had any character development. I mean... What did Glenn do? Glenn did exactly what Glenn does. He mm -hmm. wants to find Maggie, and that uh, that was it. He was single focused, and nothing happened. I'm not even. I can't even recall any specific line of dialogue did he have other than "stop the truck." Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can see. I can see your point. And the there are a lot of people online saying that this was a bit of a boring filler episode. Um, I don't entirely disagree with that. I do. I did enjoy it, but. 
I also think it was just a bit of an excuse to get our characters on the same paths to meet up again. Right. What I did like about it, though, was the tension they were able to put in. It was a, it was a fun episode to watch, regardless of the fact that maybe you could argue that not much happened. Right. You know, if, I, they, if, if, uh, if Carl would have found another gallon of pudding, I would have been on board with that. <laughs> right. Yeah, because any episode with uh, that much pudding... Well, they did have uh, they did have uh, spray cheese, yeah. which, as far as I can find, uh, you cannot buy in Canada. Hmm. Doesn't pass our Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Nope, you just can't have spray cheese in Canada for some reason. You can have cheese in a tube. You buy the cheese in the tube in the cracker aisle, and you put that tube cheese on on crackers. But it's just you know soft cheese in a tube that doesn't need to be refrigerated, which right. is scary enough. But uh, you know an actual aerosol can full of cheese. No go. Probably has something to do with the aerosol nature of the can. <laughs> you can get aerosol whipped cream, no problem. That's true, actually. That stuff is great, but uh, you, you know, you put cheese in there instead of cream, that's bad. No, not allowed. Not allowed. <clears throat> yeah. All righty. Well, uh, that's that. Um, like I said, entertaining episode, even though it maybe wasn't one of the best. Um, I have a feeling, though, the, the next few are going to get get awesome, so... Right. I, have a, I have a really good feeling about the next one, to be honest with you. But uh, we'll save that for next time. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, uh, let's do this. Holy crap, did you see that? Holy crap, did you see that? Uh, Jason, who's going to start this week? Y- you is going to start. Okay, this is an email comes from Josh on the internet. When the gang invaded Rick's house, they were, they were calling out for Tony when Rick found the guy in the bathroom. Tony was also the name of one of Randall's people uh, back in the season two episode in Nebraska. Mm-mm. So I didn't catch that. And oh. I, you know, I haven't <clears throat> gone back to check it, but if that's the case, could have been a coincidence or maybe these are more of Randall's people. and Maybe we are going to see them again. Yeah, I think it's a coincidence or it might've been a callback, but I don't think it has any actual plot significance. Okay. I'll go with that. All right, so we have an email from Tyson in Australia, Victoria, Yakandanda. And that's an actual place. I looked it up. I even went to uh, Street View. It looks pretty cool. My holy crap, did you see that? Was when Rick was under the bed and two guys had a fight. One killed the other and he laid in the bed and went to sleep. It's like they don't know that the dead turn no matter what, uh, if they're bit or not. It really grinds my gears. Yeah, so first of all, I think we've decided that that guy wasn't dead. He was breathing. However, this is a really good point. You don't just beat a guy up, leave him on the floor, maybe dead, and then go to sleep in the same room. These guys both fell asleep really fast. Like, they must have been so tired. Well, we don't really know how much time went by. But yeah, okay, maybe they fell asleep really fast. But you know what that's like. Um, oh yeah, I, that, I mean, it could happen to me. I could do that right now. I'd be asleep by uh, by the time this podcast is over if I lied down right now. Probably sooner. Uh, by the time I stop talking, likely. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the point here is you don't leave a dude unconscious on the floor not knowing if he's going to die and then go to sleep right beside him because if he does die, he's going to stand right back up and eat you. Okay, so here's the rule. If you're going to beat a guy and strangle him because you want to sleep in the same bed that he has, even though there's a house full of beds, and you want to sleep in that particular bed, you make sure you stab that bastard in the head and kill him before you go to sleep. That is rule number one 
of yeah. killing a guy before you go to bed. Right. Rule number one. Thank you, Tyson. This one comes from David in North Carolina. Now, after Rick strangles the guy in the bathroom, he stands up and opens the bathroom door before making his escape through the window. I don't understand why he did... I didn't understand why he did this until later when you hear the dead man on the bathroom floor reanimate as a walker, providing the needed distraction for his escape. I thought to myself, damn, that was pretty smart. He ambushed those guys with an open door. He did. And... Um, honestly, it didn't occur to me quite right away either. But as soon as I heard the zombie in the house, I was like, oh, Rick left the door open. Smart. Yeah. It was a really good, well, maybe, good idea. You know, when I first saw him open the door, I was like, well, maybe that guy was taking a crap and it was pretty smelly and he wanted to get a breeze going. <laughs> yeah. He was lighting a candle crap. would just be too weird. He was taking a crap with his pants up and the toilet seat closed. That's not something you want to do. Well, you have to, it's, you know, this is a TV show that's uh, on regular television, right? You can't have a, a guy with his pants down taking a crap getting into a fight. I mean, you might be able to get away with that in a James Bond movie or maybe something with Ron Perlman, but uh, <laughs> not in a television show like this. Why Ron Perlman? I don't know. It just seems like it's the kind of thing that would happen in a show with Ron Perlman. Okay. Or what's his name? Uh the guy who played the the wrestler and uh, the guy in Sin City. What's his name? Yeah, that's Ron Perlman. No, not Ron Perlman. The other guy. He's uh, oh. he was the wrestler. No, you're right. You're right. He was the wrestler. Um, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. This is totally something that Mickey Rourke would do. Get into a fight with a guy that's taking a crap. Yeah. Uh, okay. I could see. No, you're allowed to show someone sitting on the toilet on TV because they always have a shirt hanging down, covering everything. Not that's... getting a fight, sitting on the can. Yes. Hey, I'm in here taking a crap. Get the hell out. Yes. <laughs> but getting into a fight with a guy that's taking a crap. No, no, no. The fight is the problem. But as you said, they may have been able to shoot around that. Shoot it in a creative way so you don't see things you're not supposed to. <laughs> right. Uh, you know. Um... Blood and guts, brains, fine. Poop, no way. No, no way. Not a chance. <laughs> Uh, so I don't even remember why we were talking about this again. <laughs> Just because I oh, think yeah, we guy opened it. he opened the door and ambushed uh, uh, ambushed the guys with a with an open door and a dead guy. Bottom line, good idea. Yeah, or so it was pretty smart. Idea. Yeah. All right, so we have an email from Matt in Delaware. Holy crap! Rick killed a living guy. It didn't occur to me until today. I'm pretty sure that this is the first living person that Rick has killed, not counting the governor's men, since Thomas from the prison, and his first, Shane. Uh, definitely seems like we're getting strong, resourceful Rick back again. Between taking down Toilet Guy and his tactical approach on the front porch to kill a Bannister Guy, I think we finally have Rick the Sheriff is back in town. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying before. But I, to me, it was more evident in his leadership skills and his decision making and stuff like that now this i think matt may be mistaken here because rick also killed the two guys in the bar back in season two where he found herschel and they, they right. were living people yes but that was before the prison right it was so this is what he's saying it's it's the rick first person actual living person he's killed since thomas in the prison oh okay yeah that totally makes sense yeah i can't think of anyone else all right, Gemma in Wales wrote, For me, the holy crap moment, or sequence, was Rick's suspenseful home invasion, especially when the first guy walked around the room and laid down on the bed. I also thought the scene where he killed the toilet guy and left him to come back as a walker very interesting. He used a walker as a weapon, very much like the governor has done in the past, with Milton. Milton. 
Will Rick eventually become more governor-like to survive? Jason? I think uh, Rick and the governor are two sides of the same coin, frankly. We have the the bad guy willing to do bad things in order to achieve what he perceives as a good goal, and we have a good guy willing to do bad things to achieve something that he uh, sees as a good goal. I think that perfectly encapsulates it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah, he's going to definitely do governor things, but uh, he's always done governor-type things. So is the governor. Just the governor's an evil bastard, and Rick's a good guy. There you go. Yeah. All right, so we have an email from Connie in Connecticut. Connie didn't explicitly say this was a holy crap moment, but I think it works. Uh, Rick's brass balls. <laughs> I know, I know. He was shaking like a leaf the entire time, but still. And I think it's pretty safe to say that the zombie apocalypse... In the zombie apocalypse, it pays to have a, have a bathroom buddy. <laughs> okay, so his brass balls. He's got huge ones for surviving that house home invasion. Right. Um, he's a little bit lucky, too, of course, but heroes are always lucky. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, he's he seriously has some, some big-ass nuts to, to get through that whole situation. Right, and always go to the bathroom with a buddy. Yeah, we learned that from Zombieland. Um, but a buddy you like, not a guy you just find sitting on a toilet having a moment to himself. Maybe Rick was his bathroom buddy. It was just a really bad bathroom buddy. Yeah, that's right. Because he closed the door and he looked over and the guy's like, hey, hi. And Rick's like, hey, hi, I'm going to have to kill you. I'm going to have to strangle you now. Guy's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm going (laughs) to poop as soon as I die, though. Good thing I have my pants (laughs) up still. (laughs) Sarah from Mission BC writes, holy crap, that idiot is a scientist? Anyone who has ever seen any action movie in their lifetime knows to point and shoot, not twirl a gun around and hope a bullet hits the target. There has to be something seriously wrong with this guy to say, trust me, I'm smarter than you are, after totaling an armored military vehicle with some shitty shots. Well, I think I'd like I like to think of him as an absent-minded professor type thing. Maybe he hasn't seen an action movie. Maybe he's had his nose stuck in books for so long that he has no idea what's going on in the outside world. And uh, even in the zombie apocalypse, he doesn't have uh, the wherewithal to learn how to shoot a gun because uh, maybe he's thinking about uh, smarter things than us. And yeah. he's smart enough to to cut his hair in a mullet. Yeah, but as and that's said, post-apocalypse because uh, people's hair are growing for the last year. So this is definitely a choice that he's made in the last year. Yeah, you're right. His hair definitely was uh, well kept. Yeah, if you can call a muppet a muppet a mullet kept, <laughs> <laughs> call it a muppet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. But but as you said earlier, you know, someone he may be a, a genius. Uh, or not, but someone around him would have said, hey, man, you got to learn how to shoot a gun just in case we're fighting with someone down the road and you're standing around when zombies come out of a cornfield. Okay, so uh, if you if you think through this scenario, so uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, his buddy there with the shirtless or the sleeveless arms. Abraham. His name already. Abraham turns to him and says, you have to learn how to shoot a gun. And then Eugene starts talking uh, nerdy crap at him for like half an hour about why he doesn't necessarily want to shoot a gun and all about the different parts of the gun and the actions that it, that it takes. And he understands the, the basic mechanism of a gun because he's a smart guy. And I know how, you know, the uh, the internal combustion engine works and he starts babbling on. And then Abraham just finally goes, oh, fine, shut up and <laughs> drops it. 
So you just explained away your feeling from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking is that, uh, you know, consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded as far as I'm, I'm concerned. So I can, I can flip opinions no, without, uh, without issue and without remorse. Uh, so, you know, maybe he's just too smart and people think he's too much of an idiot, uh, you know, a smart idiot to want to bother with uh, forcing him to do something that will save his own goddamn life. He really seems like the kind of guy who would be super annoying to travel with. Yeah. I it's mean, like just, look what happened when uh, when Glenn was walking away. We had uh, Abraham and, uh, uh, what's her name, Lara Croft, going after him. And uh, Eugene just kind of got out and started looking around. He's looking at the like, sky. What's he thinking about? Is he thinking about you know, the different uh, biological mechanisms in growing corn? Like, maybe. So he's just, he's off in his own world. Yeah. All right. All right. So we have an email from Randy in Shelby Township in Michigan. My holy crap, did you see that moment was the utter joy Abraham had laying waste to three zombies early in the show. The smile he had on his face when he shoves a crowbar into the jaw of that zombie, pinning it to the side of the truck, then smashing his head like it was a grape, might be my top three zombie kills for the season so far. Might be in my top three. Yeah, it was uh, It was a cool one, I got to admit. And it's nice to see someone who's finding some joy in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, you got you to gotta find joy where you can. Lindsay from the internet writes, Holy crap, did you see the color of Abraham's hair compared to the color of his beard? So bad. <laughs> What's bad with that? Well, it was very different, but I'd, I'd just like to say right now, right here, right now, as Van Halen said once, my I currently have a large beard, as we've talked about on this show. doesn't seem to be as affecting me in as much of a negative way this episode as, as it has before. That's good. You're getting used to it. I guess so. But my beard is different color than my hair. I'm a little bit of a red complexion type person. Mm -hmm. I don't consider my hair red, though. It's more sort of a blondy color, if you ask me. But my beard is pretty red. And so I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility too far that Abraham could have one color hair and one color beard. I'm actually the same as you. I have brown hair, but my beard is red. Well, it it used to be red. Pretty soon, my hair and my beard, uh, well, I have a goatee right now, but uh, my facial hair and my head hair is all going to be white in the next 15 minutes or so, so they'll be the uh, the same color. But uh, It's happening quick, eh? Back in my 20s and 30s, my uh, my my beard, and I had a full beard at that time, was, uh, was red, and my hair is brown, so it was a different color as well. See, that seems unusual to be brown hair with a red beard. I can see blonde and a red beard because blonde and red aren't that different right I, I had red hair when i was born like oh. i had red hair for the first couple of months of my life and then it turned blonde interesting and it was blonde until i hit puberty and then it turned brown hmm. weird i had blonde straight hair i'll show you a picture it's weird yeah i had blonde straight hair too like platinum blonde i'm a very fair complexion type person but my hair has gone a lot different now and growing this big beard you know, it's still mostly red, but I've noticed kind of in the mustache and in the front a little bit, there's definitely some white in there. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have uh, some squirrely white bits in my goatee now. Yeah, good times. Getting yeah. old. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we have an email from Matthew in St. Louis. Holy crap, did you stay awake for that? I get 
I get that every once in a while you have to have you have to slow things down a bit in order to build up characters and plots, but that was by far the weakest episode of the season. The entire episode took place in what seems to be less than one day of actual time, and we don't learn much. One, Rick will hide and kill to survive. Two, Glenn will do anything to find Maggie. Three, Michonne talks more about her kid. Four, Rosita doesn't need to cover up to avoid zombie bites and scratches. Well, I don't entirely agree with everything Matthew has said here. We've been through the episode already, of course. I agree that not much happened, but it was entertaining. At least parts of it were entertaining for me to watch. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. What more can I say? Right. I kind of agree. Yeah. Katie in the UK writes, My holy crap moment was Michonne's new clothes. Well, new shirt. It looked quite odd to begin with. Guess it was because I was used to seeing her in her sleeveless jacket. Also, did you guys catch when she and Carl were outside talking to Rick before her and Carl set off for more supplies? There was a shot of them, their backs to the camera, and Michonne from behind looked exactly like Jack Sparrow. (laughs) White shirt, sword, the dreadlocks. Just thought it was quite amusing. Oh my God, she needs a tri-corner hat. And she'd be a pirate from a... (laughs) <laughs> from a movie. <laughs> I'm totally, I'm on board with this. I think it's a great idea. All right. Get her a tri-corner hat and uh, yeah, she can be Jack Sparrow and then we'll uh, we'll get ourselves a Captain Hook and uh, she's got the puffy white shirt. She's got the pirate shirt. This is, uh, this is going to turn into a pirate show. Guaranteed. Yeah. We... They're going to find a ship. Oh man, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a departure <laughs> from the original intentions of this show. <laughs> it would, but uh, yeah, pirate pirate zombies. Yep. Awesome. All right, so we have an email from Andy in England. My holy crap, did you hear that moment? Michonne's cheese-filled Walker impression made me chuckle anyway. Yeah, it made me disgusted, to be honest. I don't know why. Uh, I don't ever want to see that again. (laughs) I'm looking forward to the next time I go to the States and I can buy myself a can of spray cheese. Yeah, man, we'll look for it. I'm going to Chicago for Walker Stalker Con, so I'm going to see if I can find some there. I'll bring you back some if you don't come with me. That'd be awesome. All right. You try. You can't take that on a plane. I'm driving. driving. Okay, you're fine. Yep. Uh, Shamir on Facebook, right? Holy crap, Michonne has a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, my point exactly. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. All right, so on Facebook, Paul, holy crap, how many bullets did that scientist spray in Abraham, Rosita, Glenn's, et cetera's direction and not hit any of them? I'm not sure he hit anything. Well, he hit the truck and he hit the ground. And I do believe he had some accidental body shots on some of the zombies. But, yeah, I mean, spraying bullets haphazardly like that when all your friends are standing around. Now, I know they were a little bit of ways down the street, but still. Okay, so the if you look at all the angles that were happening, so Abraham is in front of the truck when he gets finally gets a hold of the uh, the rifle out of the cab, and he starts shooting, but then turns and sprays the truck, and then aims it again at everybody's direction. Abraham, Rosita, Glenn, everybody's direction. Abraham comes up, goes around the truck, onto the same side, and then starts shooting the zombies along the uh, uh, in, in the corn or along the side of the corn, and kind of goes in front of. Uh, in front of Eugene. So Eugene is firing, but he's behind, standing behind Abraham. If I were Abraham and I was coming around that truck and I saw him spray everything with, with bullets, the first thing I would do is take that thing out of his hand and then continue on shooting. I would not let that guy get behind me with that gun. True, but I mean, the approaching walkers, isn't that more of a threat? 
if if Eugene no. has stopped shooting. <laughs> Eugene can kill three of those things with a crowbar uh, without much problem. Uh, and there was like five or six of them and four people with guns. Uh, no, Eugene was a bigger threat than those zombies were. Yeah, maybe. I don't get the impression, though, that Eugene has ever killed a zombie in his life. Probably you know, not. Crowbar, gun, or anything. So I think he is completely useless when it comes to zombie defending. Yeah, I would give him a slap and take that gun out of his hand. That would be the first thing I did. Never let him touch it again. Yeah, make him get a haircut. Yep. All right. Trevor on Facebook wrote, Children of the Corn. There it is. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember seeing Malachi. <laughs> no. Last one? No, that was it, wasn't it? Oh, that is it. Oh, I That's added the... one. Sorry. You... I added one more and didn't tell you. Oh, okay. Well, so this is from... I don't have it in front of me. I'm kidding. I don't know who it's from. It's from Angie in Birmingham or the Midlands. She wrote, Andrew Lincoln, I mean, holy crap. Did you see that performance he gave? From the pain in his eyes when Michonne was asking what next to the utterly palpable terror when he was hiding from the intruders. He was pretty afraid underneath that uh, that really creaky, uh, bendy, non non box springy bed. Yep. Yeah. It's it was tough. That was one of my favorite parts of the episode, and I thought uh, Angie's holy crap there came in at the uh, at the end, and I figured I'd slot it in because I thought it was a good way to good way to end end on a positive. It is. It is. All right. That's gonna do it. I think for this episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Jason, thank you for participating and being here tonight. Well, I thank you, Chris, for uh, <laughs> making this show possible. Happy birthday to everyone who has a birthday around this time. And I mean everybody, not just our wives, not just you, everyone out there. I'm sure somebody else has a birthday today. If you get 23 random people in a room, do you know what the odds are that two of them have the same birthday? No, Jason, tell me. 50-50. 23 people? And you're 23 people. Yeah, I don't. I forget why I took it in in uh, my discrete mathematics class, but uh, look it up. It's it's fifty percent. It's just about fifty percent if you get twenty three people in a room. That doesn't seem like very many people. It's weird, but it's true. Hmm. Interesting stat. That's uh, that's good to know. There's twenty three people. There's way more than that in my office, and I used to work with a guy who had the same birthday as me, so it works out. Well, there you go. Cool. And you know, I have a good friend that uh, I met in high school who had the same birthday. Alrighty. Well, now that we know that, I think we can <laughs> satisfactorily end the podcast. What do you oh, think? Okay. Well, I don't know about satisfactory, but we'll definitely end the podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, what are we going to do? If you want to uh, go to our website, there are a link to buy shirts. You can do that. If you want to help out, support the podcast a little bit, you can buy a shirt or a couple of other things we have up for sale there. Um, another easy thing to do is use our Amazon link and go to amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do all of your shopping at amazon.com. Last time I, I, uh, we had a user or a listener ask whether we have uh, links for some of the international stores, the uh, British one or the Canadian one, and I said right. I would be looking into that, which I will be. So if you are in one of those places, stay tuned. It's still true. It is, you will look into it. I will one of these days, <laughs> hopefully soon. Um, and uh, you can also find all the music we play on the show on our website, links to iTunes and so on. So if you like a song, because I generally don't know what I'm going to put in until later, it's a secret of the show. But do if we you play like music on the show, I I do. I I I, I surround the uh, Audible ad in the middle with uh, with a song with clips of a song. Huh. I, I rarely listen back. 
but yes. sometimes I do. I know. I well, remember. I remember now that there's there's music. You're here, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't hear the music. That's right. I don't put it until later because I never get around to choosing it until uh, we're done here. So, anyways, that's a secret. That's no longer a secret. Um, but as I was saying, you can go to our website and find links to all those songs if you want to uh, check them out. Um, and then if you want to contact us, you can give us a call on the toll-free Zomb line, 1-866-483-9662. You can also go to our website and click send voicemail and then record a message and send it right to us in front of your computer. That's a great way to do it. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Finally, send all email correspondence to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to keep sending in those recordings of your favorite scene from The Walking Dead. Uh, like we said earlier, I want to get one where there's more than one person involved. I think that would be super awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. And on that note, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye.